Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the All Things New podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode. I hope that y'all have been having a great week so far. I'm really excited for Thanksgiving next week. Um, I like food, so I'm looking forward to it. But I hope that y'all have been doing well, and I appreciate you for tuning in for another episode. Today's episode title is Biblical Femininity. And I'm quite excited about this topic because I I enjoy the topic of femininity. Um, I mean, as a woman, I um, enjoy exploring femininity, but especially in modern days, modern society, specifically Western society, there's a lot of ideas and there's a lot of rhetorics that um, are honestly anti-feminine, anti like anti-soft anti you know anti-submissive things like that it's it's like the ideas of um these ideas are quote-unquote anti-feminist to be feminine I'm not saying that's what everyone believes but there's a lot of ideas going around in our modern society that demonize femininity and I would like to talk about biblical femininity from, a, of course, a biblical perspective. But this type of femininity is very honorable. It's very beautiful. And it's not something that is shameful. It is not something that makes you weak. But it is a beautiful thing. And it is exploring more of who God created you to be. Now, I'm not saying that every woman has to be like the same. Or every woman has to speak the same way or do things the same way because that's not reality that's not how god created us he did not make clones right but there are certain characteristics certain habits certain ways of life that are feminine and that are a beautiful thing that are highlighted in the bible in so many ways and so for today's episode, I'm going to highlight a couple of people and then I'm going to come back to a couple of scriptures that talk about femininity as well. So I'd like to start with speaking about Ruth, which is, she is a prime example of femininity and of a wonderful, beautiful, strong, powerful woman. And she has so many beautiful characteristics that we'll talk about. But first, I'd like to read just a portion from the book of Ruth, I'm reading from chapter 2, verses 4 through 17. While she was there, she being Ruth, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, Who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman said, She is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young woman working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. 
Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother in your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, Come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. She sat with the harvesters, or with his harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her, and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up, and don't give her a hard time. So Ruth gathered barley there all day, and when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. I'm going to read a, um, one scripture from Ruth chapter 3, and then I'm going to kind of bring into like a little summary of who Ruth was and the type of character that she had. I'm reading Ruth chapter 3, verse 11, and this is Boaz speaking, and he says, Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. Ruth is such a beautiful example of godly, of biblical femininity, and she shows that, like we are, we are able to see her character in the book of Ruth and how she behaves and how she speaks to people and how she interacts with others. So, firstly, we see that she is a hard worker. She is someone who's diligent and she's not lazy. That's a huge thing about godly biblical femininity is the lack of a laziness. If if you are lazy, that is not feminine. It is not feminine to lay around and do nothing. It is not feminine to have nothing going for yourself or to have no, you know, no ventures or I'm not saying you have to go on crazy trips and do all this stuff. But if you're lazy and doing nothing, that is not a that's not a characteristic of godly biblical femininity. So firstly, Ruth is a hard worker. She's diligent and she's loyal. That loyalty is also a really important characteristic that Ruth is showing us here. And this is the first instance when Boaz meets Ruth, eventually they marry spoiler alert, <laughs> um, Boaz says that, like, I know that you're a foreigner, but I know what, like, I know what you've done for your, for your mother-in-law, like, I know that you chose to stay with her, that you're faithful to her, and that you're doing good work, and so he knows her character, because this is the first time he's speaking to her, he knows her character by what he's seen, by what people have been telling him. And so she has a good character, which is known, which I think is really beautiful and really awesome because she's not needing to, 
to announce what she's doing. She's not needing to announce her character. She's just doing it. That's just how she is. And people notice what she's doing. People notice her character. And so because of this, because of these things, she is taken care of. She has favor. She finds favor in the eyes of the Lord and in the eyes of Boaz. And she's provided for. Everything that she needs is given. Um, and she eventually marries Boaz, and she is also an ancestor of Jesus Christ, um, if you look at the genealogy, which is pretty amazing, especially given her background, which is she was married, she um, was a Moabite woman, she was not a Jew by birth, um, and she married, and then her mother-in-law was also, you know, married as well, and both of their husbands died. And Ruth could have chosen to go back to her parents, to her parents' land, her parents' home. She's a young woman, too. But she chose to stay with her mother-in-law. She chose to stay loyal to her mother-in-law. And because of her loyalty, because of, of her, oh, I guess, o obedience, um, it's not necessarily, it was her choice what she did, but because of her decision of loyalty, she was blessed. She was blessed. She blessed others. And she contributed to her community. And so Ruth exemplifies loyalty, gratitude, and the way that she thinks of Boaz, kindness, and work ethic. She has so many beautiful, wonderful characteristics. And these are wonderful examples of what godly biblical femininity looks like. The next individual I'd like to talk about is Hannah. She is the mother of Samuel the prophet. Samuel is the prophet who anoints David to be king. Okay, so Hannah is the mother of Samuel. I'm going to read a, an excerpt from Samuel chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 9 through, let's see, I'll go 9 to 18. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. By the way, the title of this whole section I'm reading is Hannah's Prayer for a Son. All right, I'm going to continue. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord, and she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime, and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, Go in peace. May the Lord God of Israel grant the, the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. So, you know, long story short, she becomes pregnant and she gives birth to Samuel, who is a prophet, and she dedicates him to the Lord. But the thing that I wanted to touch on with Hannah is that 
she is a woman who is, firstly, she has this desire to have a child and she cannot have a kid or she hasn't had a child up to this point. And that's the desire that she has. And she's in anguish. She's praying in anguish. She's in deep anguish, crying bitterly before the Lord. And she's like, Lord, I just, I want a child. Please give me a child. Please provide me with a son. And the Lord eventually grants her that. And something so beautiful about Hannah is that she is so persistent. And she touches heaven with her prayer. Even if she was full of anguish and sorrow, even if she was full of being discouraged, it says, I, I'm, I'm discouraged and I was pouring my heart out to the Lord. Even in, in your discouragement, pour your heart out to the Lord and it's okay if you're in sorrow, it's okay if you have anguish. The Lord hears you and a woman who can touch heaven, who can touch the heart of God, that is a another really wonderful aspect of biblical godly femininity it's it's being a praying woman a being a woman who knows how to get on her knees and and get the attention of heaven i'm not saying that you have to get god's attention because he hears you in every moment and the quietest prayers in your spirit or in the prayers that you scream out in anguish he hears every single one of them but to be a praying woman is so beautiful and so powerful. And that is a massive example of godly femininity. Another example that I'd like to give, another example of a godly feminine woman that I'd like to give is Esther. To give a quick background, I'm not going to read a lot from the book of Esther, but to give a quick background, she is a Jewish girl living under the Persian Empire, and um, essentially the king of Persia, he, Xerxes is his name, it's a pretty dope name, I've always thought that name was cool, um, he, his wife is combative, in other words, his wife is, you know, not listening to her husband, she's being rude, disrespectful. So he kicks her out. He's like, you're done. Get out of the castle. Get out of the palace right now. Like you're leaving. Like we're done. You're, we're not married to me anymore. See you later. And so the king essentially is like, okay, I need a wife now <laughs> since I just kicked out my other one because she was tripping. So he calls for all of these young women to come to the palace and to, you know, uh, be prepared to present themselves to the king essentially. And Esther is the only Jew um, out of these women. The rest of them are non-Jews. And um, Esther immediately finds favor. Um, she finds favor with one of the eunuchs that works in the palace. And she is provided for. She had like a special, you know, like the, the eunuch provided her with special food and special beauty treatments. That's one thing I love about Esther. It's like they talk about all the beauty treatments. And I'm like, yes, sis, like treat yourself, girl. You should treat yourself too. Like for real, treat yourself. Anyways, just a little caveat. She is, she finds favor in this environment. It's an environment that she doesn't necessarily want to be in because these women didn't really have a choice, you know, especially in this time when women had very limited rights. Um, they had no choice. They had to do it. They had no choice but to obey the king. Um, and so they go um, to be prepared for the king. Literally, imagine having beauty treatments for a year. That's literally what happened here. A year. Like, that sounds amazing. Like, going to a spa every day for a year. Come on now. Like, could somebody give me that for Christmas? Like, just, like, 
the gift card. Anyways, anyways. Um, so they do all these beauty treatments and Esther stands out. She is this woman who is like the king loves her out of everyone else. Like she stands out to him. There's something special about her that is intriguing to the king. The Bible doesn't specifically say what that is, but you know, we can infer that um it could have been her intelligence, it could have been um her background. Um actually she did keep her background secret, but she there was something special about her and we can infer that something like that one of those big things that that was that was so different about her was that she was kind firstly um and that she was honorable but um what it says here i'm going to read a little bit of this um as a result um this is in also chapter two of esther and verse 8, it says, As a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and a place in Haggai's care, which Haggai is the eunuch. Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned to her seven maids specifically chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maids into the best palace in the harem. Harem. So he essentially, like, you know, he, she had favor. She had favor. She was impressive. And I'm not saying that she was particularly, you know, she was being extra or anything, but she was just being godly, being, you know, a respectful, kind woman. And that set her apart. So eventually she becomes a queen. And the part that I would like to read specifically from Esther is from chapter 4. And this is when a lot of chaos is going on. So there is a man named Haman who hates Jews. And once again, as I mentioned, Esther did not disclose her background. She did not disclose that she was Jewish. So this guy Haman's like, okay, all the Jews should die. <laughs> Genocide much? Anyways, so... um. And he hates Mordecai specifically. And Mordecai is Esther's cousin, her older cousin, that was like taking care of her, um, that was raising her essentially. And so Haman's like, "Yeah, we gotta get, we gotta kill Mordecai. We gotta get rid of all the Jews." And so they find this out, and you know Mordecai and Esther meet, and they have this conversation. And this comes from Esther chapter four, verses fourteen through seventeen. They say, and this is Mordecai speaking, "If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews." will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go and gather all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same, and then, though it is against the law, I will go and see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Esther was not only standing up for something that she believed in, not only was she standing up for something that she believed in morally, something moral, something ethical, she was also risking literally her life for her community. Now I'm not saying you gotta go sacrifice yourself for some cause or something, but she stood up for what was right, even if 
what she was doing in order to bring that awareness was not technically legal right she she literally like went to the king without his permission and you had to have the king's permission in order to come to him even though she was his wife still she had to have his permission and so she she was in contact with Mordecai um they like are talking with letters with each other and they are discussing what's going on about how Haman wants to kill all the Jews and Esther's like okay here's here's what we're gonna do like, and Mordecai's, like, you know, encouraging her, like, maybe this is why you're the queen, to save your people. And so she essentially, they she, she's like, hey, gather the Jews, let's pray and fast. And so they pray and fast for three days. And then Esther goes, and she goes before the king, and she like kind of, like, exposes what's going on. <laughs> and they're like, hey, man, this guy is crazy. But um, Esther stood up for what was right, and she also prayed and fasted and gathered people to do the same. So there was a, a cause, a common goal to be pursued. And she did what was necessary for that thing to be fulfilled. And even though it had a lot of risk, there was a lot of risk here, but she saw the big picture. It was something greater than herself. It was literally the destiny of her people. And she was willing to be able to, like, she was willing to sacrifice herself if necessary to save her community and I think that is something very beautiful and wonderful it's like that characteristic of having like that that you know view of like this is bigger than me this is not just about me I've got to stand up for what is right another really popular example of godly femininity or I would I shouldn't say popular maybe common but it is popular as well is a wife of noble character which is found in Proverbs chapter 31 now I am going to read the entire chapter because it's fire um and I've talked about it quite a bit in this podcast but this stuff is good it's good stuff here so um it actually, I don't think it starts in chapter, in verse 1. I'm going to start with verse 10 and read to the end, which is verse 31. So I'm going to read 10 through 31 in Proverbs chapter 31. And it is titled, A Wife of Noble Character. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She finds wool and flax and busily spins it. She's like a merchant's ship, bringing her food from afar. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and plan the day's work for her servant girls. She goes to inspect a field and buys it. With her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She is energetic and strong, a hard worker. She makes sure her dealings are profitable. Her lamp burns late into the night. Her hands are busy spinning thread, her fingers twisting fiber. She extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. She has no fear of winter for her household, for everyone has warm clothes. She makes her own bedspreads. She dresses in fine linen and purple gowns. Her husband is well known at the city gates where he sits with the other civic leaders. She makes belted linen garments and sashes to sell to the merchants. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instructions with kindness. She carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. Her children stand and bless her. 
her husband praises her. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Reward her for all she has done. Let her deeds publicly declare her praise. If that isn't an example of godly femininity, I don't know what is. It is literally listing out these characteristics, a wife of noble character. And it's saying that she's rare. She's who can find a virtuous and capable wife. It's it's a rare thing. Um she's more precious than rubies. She's trustworthy. Her husband can trust her. And she enriches her husband's life. She makes his life better. She makes his life easier in different aspects. I love that so much. She brings him good and not harm. And she also is a very busy woman. She is resourceful. She you know, makes clothing. She brings food. She, she gets up ready. Um, she gets up early to get her household ready. She prepares food for her family. She prepares the day's work. She's organizing the day's work. She buys a field and then she plants a vineyard. She's resourceful. Once again, she's a businesswoman. She's energetic and strong. She's a hard worker. She makes, you know, makes her dealings profitable she's working she's she's a smart businesswoman literally that's what this is saying and once again she's busy working spinning fiber making clothing and she's also extending a, a helping hand to the poor and she's opening her arms to the needy she's a woman who serves her community she doesn't have fear of winter for her household for she has warm clothes the clothes that she made <laughs> she also makes bedspreads dresses in fine lemon and purple purple Gowns, sorry. Fine linen and purple gowns, not fine lemons. That would be really weird. She dresses well. I love that so much. I'm like, you know what? That's an important thing, too. You you better dress cute, girl. Like, period. Anyways, um, her husband is well known at the city gate, and she brings him honor. And all the clothes that she makes, she not only is she clothed with these beautiful garments that she makes, but she's also clothed with strength and dignity. And she speaks with wisdom and she gives instructions with kindness. She doesn't have a harsh tone. She's not demeaning. She's giving instructions with kindness. And I love in verse 27, it says, She carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. Once again, we're going back to that concept of laziness, how that's not feminine. She's not a lazy woman. And her children and her husband honor her. And... And she is being rewarded. Like they're saying, reward her for what she's done. Like let her be publicly rewarded, be publicly honored because of all the things that she's doing. She's running a home, running businesses, honoring her husband, honoring her family, providing for them food. Like she's making food for them. She's taking care of them, making sure everybody's set. And she is a woman who people look up to and who people honor. So if you're looking for what it is to be a godly woman, a feminine godly woman, Proverbs 31 is a wonderful place to start. I'd like to read two more scriptures. These are both from the New Testament. The first one I would like to read is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfolding beauty of a gentle and quiet 
spirit, which is precious to God. It says, which is so precious to God. I love how that so was inserted in there. So I love this so much. It's like, and it's not saying don't care about your appearance. It's not what this is saying, because if you look at Proverbs 31, the, the wife of noble character, the virtuous woman, very much cares about what she looks like. And that's important. It's important to present yourself beautifully and well. And it's important to be beautiful, to, to you know, enhance your the beauty that, that you've been given and to dress well and, you know, do your hair and all that fun stuff. Um, so it's saying, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. So it's saying like, hey, like, it's important. Like, it's not saying it's important, but it, it, if you can see in other themes in the Bible, this is important. This verse is not specifically saying that, but it's like, hey, like, don't, like, get caught up in the outward beauty. So don't get caught up with how you do your hair. Don't get caught up in, like, the jewelry you wear. Don't get caught up in the clothes that you wear. But you should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty. This is a beauty that doesn't fade away. It's also kind of referencing Proverbs 31 where it says, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Same concept here. The unfading beauty of a gentle, gentle, which means meek in the Greek, no, like, I did not mean to rhyme there, but, you know, love that for me. Anyways, um, a gentle, meek, and quiet. This quiet means peaceable. It doesn't mean silent. It means peaceable. It means peacemaking. Quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. These characteristics, to be gentle, to be meek, to be quiet, to be peaceable, those characteristics are so precious to God. If you have a quiet, meek spirit, that is so beautiful and so precious to God. And that is a wonderful, those are two wonderful characteristics of godly femininity. The last scripture I'd like to read comes from Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. And this is actually um, after a scripture um, directed at the men. Um, but I'm going to read this specific part talking about women. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and to be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. A lot of this is specifically talking about wives. So when it talks about loving their husbands and children and submitting to your husband, that's specifically talking about wives. But there are all of these the sentiments of these things. Um, the characteristics can still be applied to a woman if you are single or if you are just in a dating relationship or courting. Um, these things can apply as well. Because the Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing, and she's a wife before she becomes a wife. Like, she already exemplifies those characteristics. So from this passage, we can see that um, people, these women, should live in a way that honors the Lord. They should not slander others. They should not be drunk. Um, they should not be, you know, alcoholics, essentially. Um, but teach others what's good. Have some morals. Have some morals. <laughs> teach some good lessons. Teach good um good ideas and ways of living and um it's talking specifically i love what it says older women should train younger women like the older women the elder women should be showing these young women like hey this is giving them advice essentially like this is how you should you know love your husband love your children of course not telling them what to do but giving them advice because they're seasoned you know and then also to live wisely and to be pure 
Love that too. Live wisely and be pure to work in their homes. This kind of goes back to Proverbs 31 where it's talking about this woman who is maintaining her home, who's who's keeping her home to do good and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. These are biblical ideas, biblical principles that exemplify godly femininity as well. Now I know the you know submissive part that I read can be a little like, you know, like people cringe at that now. Um, I'm definitely going to talk about submission in a later episode, but um, that is another piece of biblical femininity as well. And submission does not mean you are, you know, like your opinion doesn't matter. That's not what that means at all. I'm going to definitely go into more detail about that. But to be, um, if you are submissive, that doesn't mean that you don't matter. It just means that you are yielding um and that is a a massive feminine characteristic this does not mean that you are letting people step all over you but it is allowing leadership to you know make decisions um i'll definitely go into that a lot later um because it's a big important topic that people you know they don't like that word so i definitely want to talk about that in a later episode but i really wanted to touch on this godly biblical femininity because it is such an important topic especially in this world where I feel like you know men are being emasculated and women are being um, encouraged to be more masculine and it's just kind of like okay like are we just gonna be the same because like that's not how this works and so there's something so beautiful and so magnetizing, so magnetic about femininity, specifically godly biblical femininity, because this is the prime example of what it is to be a feminine woman. And in your character, in the way that you speak, the way that you carry yourself, the way that you dress, the way that you interact with people, your habits, the things that you do, all of these things are showing these different characteristics, all of these things are really, really important. And these are really important facets of godly biblical femininity. Now, you don't have to you know, run a bunch of businesses like the wife of noble character does, or you don't have to save a nation like Esther. But to have this heart, this heart of kindness, gentleness, meekness, also assertiveness as well. Um, I'm sure the Proverbs 31 woman needed to be assertive in several ways to, you know, do all the things that she's doing. But you're not being stepped on if you're if you're feminine, if you're a godly feminine woman. That's not what that is at all. There is so much beauty in the quiet gentleness of a feminine woman. Like femininity is incredibly magnetic and it's something, it's, it's very nurturing, it's very soothing, very calming, and it's cultivating peace. And so, you know, I, I just, I don't know, the idea of femininity is just, you know, people are not against it, but it's like we're, as a woman, we're encouraged to be more masculine. And yes, there are areas where we do need to be more masculine. Like, for example, if you're walking, like, and you shouldn't do this, but if you're, like, walking in a big city, like, at night, like, you, you can't just be all ditzy and, you know, not, not, I'm not saying that's what femininity is, but there are certain arenas where you need to not be all, you know, oh, hi, blah, 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 right? Of course, you know, you can be like that in a lot of areas too, but, you know, it's like, we're encouraged to be masculine in more ways than we should. Um, but 
there's so much beauty in biblical femininity. Femininity is so beautiful. And if you are a woman going through a journey of, of delving into your femininity, like, yes, girl, do it. Do it. Like, as I have been through this journey, like, it's not necessarily a journey, but because I don't necessarily think I've I've had I've been masculine, quote unquote. But as I'm learning more about femininity, learning about godly femininity, it's just it's very special being able to explore what that is for myself and and realizing how fulfilling it is to be a feminine woman. And so I really wanted to touch on these feminine characteristics that are you know, laid out for us in the Bible because they are valuable. They are incredibly valuable. They're going to, you know, improve your life because you will be touching the people around you. You will be cultivating important relationships, whether it's your close family, whether it's with your husband or your children or your, you know, your fiance, your boyfriend, someone who you're not married to yet. Regardless, these characteristics are incredibly beautiful. And they're also powerful as well, but not only that, they also show the character of God as well, because God is ultimately, he's the most kind, the most gentle, the most loving, the most caring, and by by exemplifying these characteristics, you are showing the world who Jesus is. That is all I have for today's episode. I hope y'all enjoyed it. If you know someone who could use this message or who you think would be interested in something similar, please feel free to share it with them. Um, not, you know, not for clout, but because, you know, you never know who could use this message. So if you know someone who could use this, um, send it over. Not just, you know, obviously not for clout, but you know, you never know if, if I knew about, not necessarily knew about this, but you know, I would have liked to hear about this when I was like 16, you know, <laughs> not that anything necessarily went wrong, but it's a good message to, to hear and to something to think about and to cultivate. But, um, thank y'all for listening. If you haven't yet, I would really appreciate a rating or a review, um, on whatever platform you're listening on. That would be very grateful and helpful. Um, you know, if I can get some more sponsorships, that would be pretty cool. Anyways, um, if y'all haven't reviewed, I really appreciate that too. But I hope y'all have a wonderful week. Thanks again for tuning into the All Things New podcast. And I will talk to y'all next Tuesday. Ciao.